Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom of Faith. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Gist of Freedom. This show is dedicated to four survivors of slavery. Miraculously, these women... Uh, are queens, they're centurions. They all lived to be 100-plus years old, and in 1916, the matriarchal heroines gathered at the 50th anniversary celebration of the Emancipation Proclamation in Washington, D.C. They told their stories and they said their names so that we can all remember, and I will say all of their names now. Annie Parham, who was 104, Anna Angeles, who was 105, Elizabeth Berkeley, 125, and Sadie Thompson, who was 110. I am so honored to be interviewing Stella Atney this evening. She is um, a genealogist and the great, great granddaughter of a survivor of slavery. Uh, and she recently received an official apology for her ancestors' slaver. Uh, I want to bring Stella into this conversation. Stella, are you with us this evening? Hi, Stella. Hi, Stella, are you there? She sounds like she's there. Sounds like she has us on speakerphone, or she thinks she has us on speakerphone. She texts her. Hello. Hi, Stella Atney. Yes. How are you? Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that we were able to get you on. Uh, I was just saying in my uh, introduction of you, I don't know if you were able to hear it, um, but uh, we commemorated five former slaver, uh, slavery members um, who were at the 50th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation in D.C. And I introduced you as the great-great-granddaughter of a survivor of slavery, recently received an official apology. So if you can take our listeners back to the very, very beginning uh, of your story. The beginning, that's, uh, okay. <laughs> well, my sojourney started, I guess you could say, back in the late 70s, early 80s, and I guess it was when everyone became aware of their roots and everyone was trying to trace their family roots, and um, I realized that this woman holding me had been a slave, and of course we weren't taught very much about slavery in school. So uh, I 
just started doing my own research and began uh, understanding how important it was to become a part of the um, solution rather than the problem. So I entered politics at a early age, and I've been in politics ever since and as far as my vocation. And um, within that arena, I just tried to do whatever I could to just kind of like a, a peeling an onion, just taking one layer off at a time. And eventually, um, I'm, 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 I'm here, but I'm not where I, I need to be. I still have a, a long journey to go as far as getting her totally um, recognized, atoned, and apologized for for her enslavement. Hopefully, eventually, reparation. Mm-hmm. Now, the the person in question, um, McClee, she was born in 1846, died in 57 at age 111. You were nine years old at the time. Not really. That's a little mixed up, my age and, and her age. I'm still trying to get that narrowed down. Where did you pick that up? I got interview. Yeah, I did some research, and um, there were some, those ages were printed uh, in an article by the New Haven Register. Okay, and they got that from me. So that was basically at the Apology for Slavery. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, some there's a little room for error, plus or minus, in those numbers. Okay. Well, but I want to put out some other. I want to put out some other numbers to you uh, because it's it's really miraculous what happened in the state of Connecticut. Um, in 2009, when the General Assembly issued an official apology, um, which was passed in both houses, uh, Connecticut was home to some 5,000 slaves in the mid-1770s. Um, and it's interesting to note that that same legislature rejected emancipation initiatives in 1777, 1779, and in 1780, before it played a significant role of outlawing slavery in 1848. What do you think happened in the shifts? Because nationwide, there was a big debate just earlier this year about the United States apologizing for slavery, um, and they they had some differing views on whether or not you know the Congress totally in both houses would pass it. What do you think happened in Connecticut? Uh, what kind of a pr- kind of pressure was applied? Was it the makeup of the legislature? Uh, why do you think in Connecticut you you would able to get something done, but nationwide we still are at odds? That's a very good question. I've never really thought about it, uh, except conscious kicked in, uh, but. It's funny you ask that because the slave actually, I have a, a, she was interviewed quite a few times during her life. Uh, They followed her because she was a pretty big deal in the hometown. She was the first midwife. So in one of her articles, she mentioned the Civil War and why she thought that um, it was even being fought in the first place. And she basically, you know, had a whole different, um, paradigm as to why she thought the war was fought, which I thought was really cute on her part. But I don't know if it was that the, um, I, I heard rumors, something about the cotton mill, or the cotton gin was invented and they no longer needed slaves and the North was um, wanting to become more 
of a machinist kind of driven economy versus slave labor and but I, I really couldn't tell you except that Connecticut was always I I thought and was taught a very liberal place. Um and slaves were under the Underground Railroad trying to escape to the north. I was quite surprised to learn that Connecticut had been a haven of slave states. So that, I'm not sure. And I worked at the Capitol for almost 20 years and probably will try and look into why that happened. I I do know that uh, every major institution in the state had a part of the profit from slavery. The Hartford Current has come forward and admitted that they advertised slaves and Edna admitted the insurance company that they insured slaves. So I'm sure whatever the reason was, the dollar bill is somewhere at the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And did you have, what role did you play in sort of that? I'm assuming it was a grassroots effort. Uh, for the apology? Yes. Uh, actually, um, no, no, not really. I um, can't say that I can actually take any real credit, although um, it has been my, um, you could say, my bet to um, work within the arena of politics to get some, I've always written to every president of the United States and um done things, I've always been in front of some camera on the radio and some paper to keep what I've been trying to do, the inertia alive for her to to receive some kind of recognition because not only was she a slave, but she was also a midwife and um, she delivered all the the babies of my um, town that wasn't even founded in, in 1877. She was there until she delivered white and black babies. And most babies, as you know, come in the middle of the night. So here's this little lady going down what's now Main Street with nothing but woods. So I can take some vows, but not necessarily. I, I really can't say that I had very much to do with it. They presented it to me, quite frankly, uh, and to quote Senator Tony Harp, who did present it to me, they actually had no one else to give the apology to because there are no slaves still alive or very many blacks can say they have the lineage that I do have. So I was very honored and I was very humbled uh, to receive it on, on her behalf because she wasn't even a slave or she was a slave in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so were you then known um, locally as somewhat of a genealogist and, and the descendant of former slaves? Is that how you got involved with them presenting the proclamation to you? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the first part of your question. Yeah, and so locally were you then recognized as someone who was a you know, former member of uh, you know, this descendant in the family and, and that's how they reached out to you to hand you the proclamation? No, actually, um, I knew that they were, I was invited to the state capitol in 2009 when they passed the resolution. Unfortunately, I was not available to attend a formal presentation 
And um, they didn't really know too much or anything about me, even though I had worked at the state capitol for, as I said, nearly 20 years um, under uh, Governor Bill O'Neill. They just uh, found out about me through my publicist or to, through uh, a woman that works very closely with me, uh, uh, Jackie Bryant, a historical um, at colleges and universities. And that's uh, when they realized that, that I had that kind of real lineage that they should present, let me have it because they had actually said they'd just put it away. Mm-hmm. It was just in the vault. Now, <laughs> so as a descendant, um, and, and, and we are all descendants, but uh, you know, I want to speak specifically in your case, do you feel that the apology or any apology is enough? Because you know, nationally, when you talk about uh, apologies to slaves, I think many people have said that their concern, either in support of it in an idea or in legislation, is that um, there might be money involved, reparations, for example. So would, do you think that actually having the proclamation something passed into law in terms of an official apology on the books is enough, or do you think it should go much further than that? First of all, when you say enough, I don't think that's quite the adjective. We, there, there, nothing could ever be done to erase the atrocities of slavery. There's not enough money, not enough land, uh, not enough apologies. Um, there is no statute of limitation on kidnapping, murder. Uh, so, no. The apology, uh, the contrition is, is just the beginning, but at least it's a step in the right direction. This country has to heal, and I don't think it's going to be able to heal from the outside, and it's going to have to be from the inside out. You know, those that enslaved us will have to deal with us. It's not, it's not just a black issue or a white issue. It's a black-white issue. I love the way um, the South has evolved, which is where I'm from, uh, when I realized how it used to be so segregated, and now they're living side by side. That never happened up north. Everyone seemed to think that there was no problem of um, inequality in the north. And we're now seeing what I call the reversal of fortunes because the north is now the new south and the south is the new north. So um, recreation, the words alone, is not going to suffice any more than uh, with the Native Americans. They were given land and casinos and some kind of way of of saying... um, you were wrong, and I, I see no less for my people. Um, as a matter of fact, so you, so I'm you, so you would like to also see reparations. Excuse me again. So you would also like to see reparations as a part of uh, the healing oh, yes. process. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we were promised 40 acres and a mule. I've even been told that the president, I don't know which president was, actually did award us that. But then when a new president was elected, they rescinded that. But um, you you can't just say I'm sorry for those kind of atrocities and and look at us, you know, we're ill-housed, we're unemployed, we're undereducated, we're we're just victims. Great book, Blaming the Victim, by the way. Um, dishwashers trained here. They, there doesn't seem to be any any concern about bringing us forward and getting us out of this mired mess that we did not cause. We did not actually come here. We came here in chains, and we've never been equal or free. And I think that this society needs to 
you know, spread democracy around the world if you want to, but begin at home. And until, you know, the powers that be, even though we have a black sitting president, things have just not improved for us. And I think, yes, reparation in forms of maybe not 40 acres and a mule, I'd like to see us get our own state, uh, the state of uh, African America, because we're not thriving uh, in, in this open, um, this is supposed to be free society except for everyone but us. Um, when you're black, you can't really assimilate, and every other race has been able to do that. I, I just think that we need to separate it since segregation and integration has not worked. I mean, we we are the consumers of this country. We we, we don't believe in long-term gratification. We are uh, not sure we're going to be here tomorrow. So we we spend and we get nothing in return except material things, which don't last very long. So I think that we need to, you know, come around the table and, and just discuss how we can divvy up what our forefathers helped build in this country, apply some of that back to us, and let us try and, and go out our own separate way. Mm-hmm. It actually, now, it sounds revolutionary, but yes. No, it, 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 it depends on who you're talking to, but, but I, I want to get back to that, but I want to talk about uh, and dig a little bit deeper on the, the healing process, because I think as great as, um, you know, reparations is and pieces of proclamations are, um, all of that stuff is wonderful. But I think we, we have to probably focus a little bit deeper as a country on the institutionalization of racism and, and trying to get people to openly discuss what their issues are with different races and how we move on from that. Um, I was speaking to a Caucasian woman who said to me that white people have to get into the room and talk about racism and what their feelings are based on how they were raised and what they were taught before we can have a national discussion about it. What, what does that healing process look like to you? That's interesting. Uh, I was, uh, when I worked for the Secretary of State, she was Armenian, and she started the Ethnic Advisory Council based on that same premise, that you have to have a, a meeting of the minds before you can have a meeting of people, a meeting of people before you can have a meeting of minds. It was very And um, we brought every ethnic group together. Uh, I think this Caucasian woman that you speak of had it correct. It has to start at, at a... At the, at the base, and it has to address the um, the atrocities of slavery, and it has to incorporate in that that the sins of the father will be visited upon the son. Now, I think I'm that visit as far as the slave part of of, 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 of institutional slavery. Uh, you have Edna coming out saying, "Well, we're, we're saying we're sorry, but there's no reparation tied to that." I don't believe the current has come out, but at the end of my apology that I was presented, they say there is no reparation tied to this. Well, that's got to change. There's going to have to be some reparation tied to it because nothing in this world is free. And for them to have taken millions of black Africans from their homeland, their culture, and, and bring them here to do mass labor for a gentry Southern Bell kind of mint juleps want to sit on the plantation front porch and be fanned and 
make the bedrock fortune that Edna and others that are sitting on and see us still suffering and not want to redistribute the wealth or put money where your mouth is. I mean, what can I do with an apology? I'm sure if I ever meet her, she'll be proud that I did receive it and I've worked over 25 years just about trying to get her an apology. So, you know, I believe even working politics, I see how people go in behind the the drawn curtain and they don't really vote their party. They vote their pocketbook. This country is built on wealth. uh, And so for them to just want to turn around and say, I'm sorry, we did this to you, uh, our bad, let's move on. That's not how that's going to work out. And maybe that's why we haven't made very much progress in race relations because we don't want to take the onus. And and that's why I thought it was important to to touch upon getting a little bit deeper into the hearts and minds of people because I think after that proclamation was passed, I would love to reexamine statistics pre and post that proclamation and see if anything really has changed in the state of Connecticut. You know, let's look at what the you know the high school dropout rate was before the proclamation and after the proclamation. Um, and look at the rate of foreclosures for African Americans before and after, and really see if anything changed. And I think part of the effectiveness of proclamations or laws or passages is that you get to equalization, right? And that's what I think uh, makes the case. And, and, and you know, what happened in Connecticut, I think, can be a perfect example to talk about what could happen nationally if nothing in Connecticut has changed, because the proclamation on itself was you know was not effective arguably, and so in order to equalize things, that's why reparations or some kind of a financial involvement is important. If we have a national proclamation apologizing for slavery, but there is no financial benefit uh, to descendants of slaves, then how effective would that proclamation be? And oh, by the way, let's look at the state of Connecticut as a perfect example of why this alone won't work. I think you're. Tr- Correct, and uh, Connecticut's not the first state, but there are not very many people that even know about the proclamation. That is, well, that's my own, is that's what I'm out there trying to do. I've spoken in Harlem um, twice this year uh, for Juneteenth and for Harlem Week. I've taken the proclamation to the Amistad. Um, I don't think very much is going to change um, because blacks even themselves are so beyond thinking that they're ever going to be um, compensated for what happened to their ancestors. They're so busy just trying to keep head above water with day-to-day uh, problems. I, 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 I am trying to get the word out. I, I do speak, and when I do uh, speak, I ask the state, uh, the power speed to to take it to the legislatures. When I was in New York, I Charles Wrangell, you know, he's uh, your congressman, you know, get him to try and um, the, the Black Caucus to do something about it. So it can go on a national. We do need to, to heal, and it can't just be one race. Even for Juneteenth, I recommend, uh, I studied the state of Israel and how a certain day at a certain time they ring the siren, and even in traffic, everyone stops, whatever you're doing. In the hospitals, they freeze for two minutes. And remember the Holocaust. Um, 
we don't remember. We want to forget slavery. We don't really want to talk about it. You know, some people are saying it really didn't happen. They were indigenous, you know, servants. They were paid. And in 20 years, it will be totally wiped out. So um, reparation has to come about because we will promise that it's only right, um, you know, if you can quantify something that horrendous um, to make up for what happened to us. But we deserve a better chance than what we've gotten. I've even come up with a new analogy of, of, of leaving the North now because we went to the North to escape slavery. And now we're just as hot, we're hostile here in the North. So I want to do an above-ground railroad where blacks are returned to the South, maybe one child at a time, one family at a time, get acclimated to Southern life and how religion and just trying to be a, a, a family rather than living in a shooting gallery and in the ghetto environment where you need 1,200 square feet to develop normally and we're crowded together like cattle and then looked at as why do we buck and, and, and try to injure each other. We don't have the square footage to psychologically to, to, to develop as our Caucasian counterparts that are out in the suburbs uh, with their acre and a half. So we've got so many uh, negative things impacting us as far as being able to develop as, as a community and as a people, and it's now every man for himself. So I would like to see the South embrace us just like the North embraced uh, the South when they needed somewhere to go. Uh, the historical black colleges, Jackie Bryant, um, and um, that's what they came to Harlem to do, to, to say, you know, send your children south and, and get a better education and maybe be able to live past age 12 or 15, you know, as they're dying. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be said about needing to make it a national movement. If we don't make it a national movement, I don't see why not. Slavery was a national movement, so. And, and, and you have... I should note um, are, are somewhat a of a political commentator and, and activist, and um, I was very intrigued with your uh, Facebook fan page that I have already tried to promote on my personal <laughs> page uh, for people to, to like and be aware of. But you've got a whole bunch of great stuff. You talk about dog whistle politics, political messages, and employing coded language. Um, I mean, it really is a political science 101 lesson for those who don't wish to go to their local community college and to pay $3,000 for a course. Um, given your sort of political um, involvement and knowledge of how things work, um, for those who may not be politically inclined, what is the kind of route, or, or maybe even for young people who want to get engaged, that may be a two-part question, what would you advise them as the best way to, to get involved, whether it's for this issue, for any issue that, they, that matters to them? That's a very good question. Thank you. And uh, I'd like to also send a special thank out to, to Dr. Um, Sidney Davis, who has is, is taking me under his wing to help get me some needed exposure. As, um, as far as politics goes, yes, you need to get involved. Everyone does, uh, either on election day or, you know, volunteering. That's how I entered the fray. Um, I actually began working for a Caucasian man that uh, was from the richest family here in Connecticut, the Pratt of Pratt & Whitney. Uh, we were able to get him. We ran a civil rights organization, and... Um, that was dealing with 
blatant or latent discrimination. Uh, our phones were bugged. We wore hidden mics to, to go out and investigate housing discrimination, banking, you name it. And uh, because we had the Pratt & Whitney money, which is the largest employer in the state of Connecticut, we took on some giants, some heavy-duty giants. So we decided to go from civil rights to enter him into politics uh, because we knew, even though he was white, that he wanted to help black people. So that's how I got into politics, um, by working with uh, a, a white man, actually. And we uh, won the primary by 13 votes. I knew very little about politics. He actually, his wife, Wendy of the Pratt & Whitney uh, Fortune, took me to, uh, to register me to vote. And uh, I've been in, in that um, location arena ever since. So you you start on, on a volunteer basis. You go to anyone who's running for office. Um, I went from being a volunteer to a paid patronage of a state employee. And as I said, I worked at the state capitol for nearly 20 years, um, and all the way up to working under the governor for our governor's secretary of state. Uh, there's plenty of need. You know, I, you know, I used to take my children door to door. Uh, there's um, canvassing, voter registration, telephone calls. There's always a need of cold standing. Um, towards the end, I worked my way to the inside to being a registrar of voters. And, um, yes, I, I think the young people uh, need to get in on politics because that is what runs this country, although they say it's red, white, and blue. It's actually more green. And um, uh, leaving the, the political arena directly, I started after I did volunteer uh, and became the office manager for Bill Curry that ran for governor. Um, but I was also volunteering at that campaign, and then they asked me to come on board as a paid staff. So you start out with a goodness of heart that you just want to help. You want to be civic-minded, and um, politics runs everything in this country. So that's another thing I can't get over, the apathy that some of us have as far as voting. We take part at Christmas. You know, we have the biggest turkey for Thanksgiving, 4th of July, more hot dogs, Easter, sometimes <laughs> vote. Yeah, time to vote. I don't do that. I don't vote. Well, that's where you really need to be. That's where, where your only power base is for, for blacks, is power of the mm-hmm. vote. And we got a black president elected, but I, I fear that the turn, voter turnout, and I worked the polls of that election, both both election years, um, won't be as, as high as it was when we were having a black man run for president. So the polarization in this country, until we can meet in the middle, it can't be just when something mm-hmm. dire happens like 9-11 or something that wants to bring us together for a brief time and then we go back to our fighting corners after, after it's over. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I want to bring on some callers. I know that we have some callers on the line. Uh, there's an area code 617. Uh, are you there? Yes, I'm here. You have a question for our uh, guest tonight? Yes. Um, this is Dr. Sidney Davis calling. Oh, like Dr. To, uh, Davis, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. Um, you have a great show. You have a great guest. And uh, I just want to uh, comment on the reparation question that was raised um, she uh, indicated that uh, there was a definite need for it. She indicated that there was possibly uh, a necessity for us to have our own land, even our own state. Um, this question of reparations, of course, is a, uh, a question that has to be given attention to. 
But I think that um, something even greater than reparations in the way that we're looking for in the material um, way um, that is needed, I think that not only do we need reparations in the way that we're discussing it with land or material benefits, but I think that we need reparation of the African mind. Uh, if Very we do not get reparations of the African mind, any reparation we get is not going to be successful. And I don't know whether or not I don't know whether or not a uh, uh, it would be something uh, that can be realized as far as getting reparations in land um, and separating and having our own institutions and schools and so forth. But what I am advocating is not just reparations, but repatriation. Um, as a way of um, getting back to where we need to be. But before that can happen, as I said, we need reparation of the mind, of the, of the African mind. We need to um, find out who we are and where we come from and just what, uh, um, you know, what, our, what, our, what our legacy is, what our past was, and what we need to go forward to. Uh, another comment I would like to make is uh, on the comment on the, um, the 40 acres this was a um, this was something that was introduced in Congress by Thaddeus Stevens. It was a it was a um, it was a uh, um, legislation introduced to give those who were uh, slaves in the area where the slave uh, uh, Stella Antley's uh, slave who held her where she lived. It was uh, uh, legislation that was. Uh, proposed to give those uh, Africans who were taken captive and their descendants land all along the uh, border, uh, the state borders of, uh, I mean, the, the, the border states of uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, all the way down to Georgia and Florida. Um, and the other thing that I would like to state with regard to the gin, the cotton gin, rather than it decreasing the need for slaves, it increased the need for slaves. And that machine, that invention was probably the single most um, um, thing that in, uh, that uh, required slave breeding in the United States when uh, slavery was um, import the importation of slavery was uh, stopped. Um, um, slavers um, entered through a program where they needed to breed slaves um, to put them in the fields to produce more cotton because the demand for cotton increased as a as a result of the mm. cotton gin. And um, and then we have these great uh, slave uh, breeding um, activities that took place not only in the South but in the North as well. They bred uh, slaves in I, the North I, and, I, they I like to come in. and they sold them in the South. Okay, so, I, I like that's to come all, in. That's is, all I'll have to say. I'll just listen for the rest of the uh, comment. Thank you very much. Okay, this Thank is Leslie Gish, and I'd like to um, uh, add to what Dr. Davis said. Um, when slavery... Uh, was abolished as far as the importation of slavery back in the, in, in the early 1800s, 1803. Uh, the breeding started then because uh, the slavers could now, no longer import sl slaves legally, and I hate to use the term slaves, but um, that was one point. The other point I wanted to raise as far as reparations of the mind, as Dr. Um, Sidney Davis said, uh, I think as Pan-Africans, um, they seldom forget or refuse to talk about how blacks uh, ended up in slavery. And before before we can move forward on 
solving the problem. We have to know what the problem is exactly. And just saying that we were just kidnapped, um, you know, without telling the whole truth, without understanding exactly what happened, we will repeat the same mistake. So if he's still listening, I'll open up his mic. I concur. That's a very good point. Thank you both. Very good. Thank you. Absolutely. And I think we I hit on that when they said we have to come together as a nation and understand that this happened to both races, the doer and the dewey. Until we have a meeting of minds, there will be no peace. The lethal thing is going to flare it up. And I think at times maybe they're even looking for a reason to incarcerate us. Uh, I look at the high numbers in our prisons and the way women are given birth control, but you have to pay $100 for an aspirin. Um, our race will be almost extinct in, in a few years. Uh, it, it, we have to come together on this, or we will be destroyed from inside out. We don't have to worry about Iraq or Iran. We can we can destroy ourselves if we don't deal with this racial um, inequity. The, the great divide is just getting wider, and mm-hmm. we... We have no recourse but to re- to bring it to the streets and take it to. We're not going to see our children mistreated and gunned down and forced into ghettos and subsidized living. It's easier to build schools for little boys and prison for men. So it's an economic issue, and just like we made profit for you, sometimes you have to pay the piper. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and the words of Dr. Davis and, and your comments um, and Leslie, our producer, they, they all kind of encapsulate the kind of conversation. Well, and, I, and I wish there would be some, some kind of national dialogue. I mean, you know, I was always, I'm a big fan of, well, how do we do that? How do we do that? That's my famous question. And, and I think probably, uh, you know, either two ways, somehow nationally, whether it's, you know, some national... Definitely you know, MSNBC broadcast about it, some special on CNN, or, or maybe even someone, you know, starting with the cause and getting on a bus and traveling across the country. I don't know how, I don't know exactly how we do that, but we know that it needs to happen. The question is Thank how do you, we do it? it? I wouldn't mind getting on a bus traveling, you know, because this is what I'm doing in my own little car, but it does have to be a national movement. Um, we have to atone for... Um, you know, we just have to do that. Until we do that, until we teach our children that we not only ripped off the red man, but we we uh, stole a whole a race of people, and um, we we did something very wrong. And we would like to make Ms. a Antley, to that. Yes, Miss Antley, um, do you think the affirmative action is a form of reparations? They, there is no more affirmative action. So I think that's a moot question. Um, well, do, when we had it, do you think that was a form of preparation and was it effective? I think that affirmative action was not just given to us. We had to fight for that, and quotas have been set aside. Um, there used to be set aside for minority. Now I understand that the Caucasian woman is considered the new minority uh, she's more oppressed than, than the black female. So um, affirmative action served its purpose, and it needs to still be a part of the um, world of work uh, paradigm, but it is not. Um, 
they seem to think that we um, had been given enough time for affirmative action, and now let's just make the playing field uneven again. But you cannot say that everyone has an equal chance and start at the same starting line when I'm coming up against someone with a Harvard education and had a full breakfast, and I'm trying to run the same race, and I didn't have anywhere to sleep last night. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the call for a million boy march? I'm sorry, say that again? What do you think about the call for a million boy march? Oh, <laughs> where did you hear about that? Dr. Sidney Davis. Oh, yes. Okay, I think that's an excellent idea. And I think we have to start with some young. I think the Million Man March, I, I do poetry and I wrote a poem once, uh, Million Man March Minus One, um, and that was for that drug addict or alcoholic that couldn't get on the bus, but was very proud that one day to see that sea of black faces. Uh, the Million Man March, um, and I give honor and praise to um, Honorable Louis Farrakhan for organizing that. It was a, a success for its time. It didn't resonate as much as I think he would have liked or men came back. But if we get the young children, the young boys, and teach them the pride of, of their black heritage, uh, which is what Dr. Davis is trying to do uh, by writing and researching about Mother Africa and the kings and queens that we once were, so I think that's an excellent idea. And uh, then we need to do one for the girls. We need to do a million young girls march as well. And just bring our youth into the knowledge that something very wrong happened to us. It's not you. It's what happened to us. So pull your pants up. Get yourself some dignity. Get a book. Um, get off the computer. Pick up a pen. Uh, improve your penmanship be uh, competitive because, yeah, you're texting as fast as this white child is, but this white child has an encyclopedia that they're reading every night and you're just, you know, spelling, misspelling words to abbreviate and you don't know how to. So the educational system for my people, we can't afford to not know how to read and write. And so affirmative action is not going to help us if we don't know how to And that's a very good point. That's a very good point. So when you talk about charter schools and public schools, uh, do you think that is a form of reparations allowing uh, black families to choose whatever school they would like to go to? Right now, you may have one great school that uh, parents are standing online and praying and wishing for a lottery uh, to be enrolled in these schools. Would that be a start as far as your reparations with Black children can choose any school they would like to attend? Um, I work for a lobbying firm, and one of our clients was, is the charter school of Connecticut. And I think that uh, the charter school is a very good incubator for capturing the best minds, black minds, so they don't fall through the cracks. However, um, I don't think we need to have separate schools to get equal education, uh, that lottery and you're hoping and praying your child is called. To me, it's the reversal of, uh, of segregation. It, um, it needs to be 
fair, regardless to where you live, that your child should be able to receive a good education. I do know that during the um, Native Americans, they had a special school for Native American children to go to. They actually had to leave their homes and go to this communal kind of living uh, where they were indoctrinated to this white society and the, the, the etiquette of how to be a, a good uh, a good red American, um, Native American. Maybe we need something like that. Uh, I don't know if the charter schools are going to be able to address as many black kids that are deficiently being educated. Uh, so we just need to have a fair school system regardless to where you live. Again, I, I grew up in the South when we had our own black schools, our own black hospitals, our own black banks. And we were thriving because we saw professional doctors, we saw teachers and principals, and they were all the same color as we were. Right now, we're being educated by white people 13 hours in the emergency room to be treated by white people. And I think that doesn't have to be the case. If they don't want to treat us fairly or if they feel like we're onus on the society, then let us break away and we'll see who misses whom first. Um, wow. I just don't Very have time. She was a, she was alive in the 1800s. I'm alive in the 21st century. I'm still suffering. I cannot find a job. I cannot get up, up pay. Uh, even though I'm free, I can't make any money. And um, I think that we are considered a throwaway society that um, blacks are no longer needed. Um, so we're going to have to save ourselves, and we're going to have to demand that we be treated fairly and justly if we are to stay in this country and if we're not to stay as equals, then give us the land that Dr. Davis spoke of, which North Carolina, South Carolina, um, and we can just have our own little sovereign state of, of Africa, America, where we have our own hospitals and, you, you know, we want this country to build the infrastructure. I'm also part of the Marcus Garvey movement, um, exonerating him, but we don't want to go back to Africa some of us do, but those who don't, we, we shouldn't have to. Um, and just let us be among ourselves. I mean, if, if you have no need for us, uh, when we were slaves, you wanted us to have 10 babies every 10 months if we could. Now that we're not slaves, you don't want us to have any children, and you're in our bedrooms, and you're breaking up families. And um, the, it, it's just... It's not working. Uh, we're marching Correct. in Washington, but I think we're marching backwards. Wow. Um, Please, Oklahoma is one writing of those, a book. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Oklahoma is one of those states. You mentioned um, yeah. having your own state where uh, the Native Americans uh, tried to, to institute statehood in Oklahoma, and they wanted to call it Sequoia, which is mm-hmm. um, a Native American who uh, invented the Cherokee alphabet. Uh, his name happens to be Sequoia uh, Gist. Uh, his um, surname was Gist. Yes. And I've written about him, G-I-S-T, George Sequoia oh. Gist, and he's from that area, North Carolina, South Carolina border. Um, he was an emissary. So they actually did try to um, have a state um, uh, institute uh Oklahoma as a Native American state. And, in fact, Ida B. Wells, when she was um, lobbying all over the world about lynchings, she uh, recommended 
that blacks, because we weren't doing um, very well uh, in these uh, southern states, that we all moved to Oklahoma. And they did, and, and a lot of them followed her um, suggestions, and they started several schools, opened up several schools, which I just posted on my Facebook page, 26 Wonderful. counties. And so your idea has, has helped, um, has worked in the past, but at the same time, it seems as though whenever we made great strides in places like Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, you know, they came here and they committed gen- genocide in towns outside of Ferguson, Missouri. So once you do establish these towns, it seems like there's a pattern throughout history that they will come and destroy it and, uh, you know, name and murder the blacks who are succeeding. Uh, what suggestions do you have? Uh, when you look back at history, at um, these black sovereign areas. Is that a question for me? Yes. And Davis is on the line. If he wants to well, jump in, he can. Yes, maybe he can jump in. I just have a dream, you know. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, if Martin Luther King were alive today, I, I don't know what he would say about the situation of, of African Americans, but we're totally going backwards. I, I don't have all the answers I just have a beginning point. We need to come together as a nation. We need to admit that something very wrong went very wrong in the founding of this country. And since it was built on violence, it may get destroyed by violence. Um, I don't see why we would not be able to live in our own area, in in a sovereign state, um, just like you can't go up uh, in Rome and the Vatican and start any line. You can't go. Um, we have reservations here in Connecticut. I do believe I worked with the Scatico Indian Native American to get them recognized. Uh, but I think that that is the only possible quick fix that I mm-hmm. see, other than returning us back to Africa, which is something I want to do with the slave. By the way, her remains, uh, she has said that she's from um my mother's mother was from South Africa, and to bring uh, the national attention that uh, Mr. Paul was speaking of, uh, speaking of uh, that alone would bring some media attention to the um, to the need to have dialogue about uh, the institution of slavery here in this country. Um, I just seem to feel that we are being hypocritical when we're trying to spread democracy all over the world, and we haven't dealt with what's happened here. Um, I think that it's a place to start. Some blacks may not want to go to an all-black state of uh, Africa, America. Those Can I comment? Like the Oprah. Excuse me? I'd like to comment. This Please, is Sydney thank Davis you, again. Doctor. Yeah. Um, some of us may want to press for reparations in the manner that uh, we're talking about, um, getting a separate uh, space for, our, for ourselves. Um, that struggles, a noble struggle. Um, um, I have uh, respect for those people that want to do that. But for those who see no likelihood of that happening, such as myself, um, I am looking for repatriation. And I say repatriation within the context um, with, uh, uh, of what um, um, Leslie just Indicated. We need to understand the dynamic of a whole slave captive, uh, the captive, uh, the capturing of Africans um, to take them into slavery. We need to understand the whole context, not only just what happened when um, we were taken 
um, put on ships. But what happened within Africa itself? What happened um, with those who were complicit, those Africans who were complicit in uh, taking us uh, and taking, taking us captive and selling us to uh, um, those who were uh, marketing us, marketing us on the ships? Mm-hmm. So when we when we take that all into consideration, I'm looking for repatriation for those of us who see no hope of us um, getting the re, uh, reparations that we want here. We want, and I'm pressing for repatriation for those of us who want to go back home and reestablish our, our roots, our identity, our culture, and our, our homestead uh, in the places where uh, our, our ancestors came from. So let's that's the, that's the only comment I wanted to make on that. Thank you. That's well, very doctor, good. Doctor, don't, leave, don't, don't leave, Doctor. What about dual citizenship? What do you have to say about starting with uh, dual citizenship the way Jewish people have it? I think, that's a, I think that is an excellent idea. I think that's the way that we need to go. That's the way, that's the way we need to start thinking. Um, uh, I, you know, this is a project that I am promoting myself uh, with the Evo Landing Project and trying to work with, in my case, in Nigeria, um, trying to repatriate those who want to go home, pressing and negotiating and talking with the government for that very thing, um, dual citizenship for those of us who want it or complete citizenship for those who want to stay and, and be there. So, yes, I think that idea is very a very excellent idea, and it's something that we, I think, is worthy of pursuing. do I. Right. Um, you know, dual citizenship from those areas where we know that our ancestors came from. We have, you know, some of us, we can, you know, when we go back and we start doing our genealogy um, by looking through our records and slave records and so forth and so on, our, you know, we can only go back, we can only go so far back, we can only go back to a bill of sale, most of us, when we start looking that way. Mm-hmm. But we have the sciences now of DNA research and so forth that will enable us to pinpoint almost where our ancestry um, That's comes right. and and we can we can make um, we can make visits to the homes of our ancestors and we can start a a a consciousness that will press for that type of thing dual citizenship we need to unite like with our brothers and sisters in Africa um, Africa needs to be healed and Africa cannot, Africa cannot be healed without her lost children. Um, mm-hmm. We need to be healed, but we cannot be healed without our being repatriated um, to our, our roots. Like I say, we need reparations of the African mind. Correct. And one more question I have for you, Doc, before you go. Um, the white people, the white people are quickly becoming a minority in America, and the ones who are left, um, that came for back of letter, lack of a better term on the ships of the Nina and the Pinto and all those different things. Uh, they're very rare now. So most of the whites that are here uh, have no roots to slavery. And, you know, their argument is going to be, well, I didn't enslave you, so I shouldn't have to pay you. What is your answer to someone that comes back with that argument when you say you want reparations today? From the well, that's a, that's, a, that's a very, very, very important question. I wish I had enough time to address it fully, but let mm-hmm. me just say this, that, you know, white privilege is getting the benefit of our enslaved uh, experience. Exactly. 
And so uh, whether, they are, whether their ancestors were directly um, um, involved in enslaving and, and taking captive Africans, the, the entire population, the white population of the United States has received the benefits. I mean, these companies, uh, these companies who have benefited from our slave experience are bu- a multi-billion um, um, conglomerates all over the world. You know, slavery was the largest economic enterprise, capitalist yes. enterprise that the world has ever seen. Yes. It was more popular than McDonald's. So um, they are benefit. You know, white, white privilege is how they are benefiting from our experience. So it is, you know, you don't, we don't have to make the case that, well, because their uh, ancestors were complicit in our enslavement or captivity, that they have no responsibility. They are complicit because they are enabling the uh, results of what has happened to us in our experience to this very day. And, yes, and, and I agree, I concur. It's a residual, and it's a negative residual on our side, and it's a positive residual on their part. They are reaping the benefits of slavery. And, yes, I concur 100%. Um, there's no cutting, you know, splitting the baby in half. Uh, this has just got to be an, an, an effort that everyone agrees uh, occurred because I wasn't a slave myself, but I do know that because of slavery, I am where I, I am no further than I am in this country, and I'm never going to be able to pull myself up by my boot, bootstraps, which is I maintain that we're still slaves. I maintain that we're still slaves. Some of us are happy slaves, and some of us are unhappy slaves. Because yes. we have the mind of a slave. Yes. We've found um, So we may not be yes. physically on a cotton field. Well 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 I have to disagree with the both of you because that is a total disrespect to our ancestors who have done so much and given and given so much so that we would be appreciative of where we are today. So I could never say um that I am in the same place as they were. Um, I just shriek at the idea of even saying that. Um, that is totally disrespectful to them. They were enshackled. They um, just got... Well, we're enshackled, darling. If you look at the prison system, yeah. most of our men are enshackled. In, in There's a new plantation. Well, I call it the prison plantation. It is a new and plantation. And while we, we have invisible chains, we, we have invisible chains. You can't see them, but we are just as oppressed as our, as our ancestors were. Uh, because we cannot assimilate. You know, you can see us coming. Uh, they've even defined proving uh, discrimination by proving a person has prejudice. Well, you can see us coming a mile away. Stevie Wonder can see us coming. We cannot assimilate. We can't just change our last name and be accepted in the society. And if you're black in this country, you're not going to be treated fairly. So a residual slavery is still very much with us. And when I see how many of us are in chains, in prisons, um, I'm not so sure how free we really are. And I definitely am not trying to disrespect my ancestors, especially the slaveholding. I didn't go through what she went through. But in my own time and space, 2014, I'm not a free woman in this country. Well, you could always switch positions. You know, we've had one woman who wrote a book, and she decided to find out, I think the name of her book was Nickel and Dime. She decided to live. Um, off of a salary of of uh, minimum wage. Welfare. So for mm-hmm. those who think that you're still enslaved, you are very free 
to wear some shackles and to go back into slavery and to live um, and reenact. So many people, you know, they go on a weekend trip and they go through underground railroad experiments. But if you want to claim enslavement, um, you can go out there and do an experiment and really try to um, live in that oppressed, um, in that bowel of the ship. Take that trip through the Middle Passage. Do all these things and still escape. And as I was saying about Dred Scott, while still in shackle, have enough courage to sue for your freedom. So these people um, did a whole lot and in, in, for us. And to say that we haven't accomplished anything yet, we have accomplished, accomplished a lot. And we do still have perpetual enslavement through the um, prison system. But we've come a long way. And I don't speak negative. Uh, negativity into my life, um, I will never claim that I have never come, that we haven't come um, far. And there is hope. I mean, we have much more hope than they did because they did have the physical change. And the mental slavery is something that we can snap out of once we expose people to the truth. And if our truth is so negative that you haven't come anywhere, why would anybody want to listen to you? If, you, if you're going to you come know, at them and say, you know, you haven't you're gone anywhere, need another still show going in circles. You're going to need another show for this for me to address this. Um, I do not accept sure your. I don't accept your judgment that I'm disrespecting my ancestors or my slave ancestors. I don't accept that one bit. No, uh, no I, stand I don't. The, I stand at, I stand on the shoulders of my ancestors. But I, you know, I'm not going to address. I'm not going to address the specifics of what you brought up because it would take another show to do that. I, I'm not going to take the okay. time away well, from our guests. Uh, I want to. I want to give our guests the, the honor that she uh, deserves in this interview. Um, she's doing mm-hmm. a great thing, and her story is our story. And yeah. I'm, I'm hope, I'm hope, I hope that we can embrace um, her story as being part of our, 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 our collective history. And I want to commend right. you. I want to commend you, Miss Gist and, and uh, Mr. Paul, for this great interview, for this great show you're doing. I commend right. you very much, and I and we honor her this, when we honor her ancestor, Charlotte. Um, you know, I've, I've taken the time to rewrite and and include her name, Charlotte. Um, she's not okay. a slave. She was Charlotte. And I can't remember her last name. But, she wasn't you know, even Charlotte. She she was not well, even Charlotte. She was a name that we okay. will never know. But um, mm-hmm. you thank you for that. That was very, very blessed. Okay. All right, Roy. Thank you, uh, um, uh, Ms. Uh, Antley and Dr. Davis, for coming on the show. And like Dr. said, you you're welcome to come back on and talk about you know anything you like to talk about. And I enjoy listening to your point of view. And thank God that you guys got this proclamation. And hopefully, other states will um, join in. Thank you, thank you for that. And uh, I appreciate any assistance as a catalyst that you can be. Get my name out there. Get the apology out there because we do want to take this to another level. And there are so many levels of inequality that we have to deal with. As I said, yeah, we have the charter schools and we have the set-asides and the affirmative action, but if we don't vote, if we're not told that, you know, you need to get out there and represent your community so that it can grow. Right now we're buying collard greens from, from, from East people from India. Um, we don't own anything in our communities. Uh, Harlem is being, I just, left Harlem and spoke there, uh, they're losing the brownstones to uh, the influx of, of wealthier people that are buying Harlem out, away from blacks. So 
we're losing ground in this country, and that's because we are no longer needed. Well said. Please tell me you're writing a book. Yes, the name of it is Five Flowers from Evil Roots, and it is a spinoff of Alex Haley's book, Roots, which told the the black um, male side of slavery. My book will chronicle the five women. Um, I see that you don't have that picture, or maybe did if you went on my site, but there are five generations in the slaves holding me, and the five generations, my mother, my mother's mother's mother, my mother's mother's mother, my mother's 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 mother. So I'm doing a book on their lives, um, each generation of, from slavery up to my myself. Okay. And for people who want to know more, your, all of your contact information, the website that you want to give? Is um, The Slave Holding Me. I don't have a website. That's just my Facebook. And I just really put that up a few weeks ago. Okay. Well, hopefully we can post that link and get those numbers up. Thank you. I would say I need that. <laughs> No, absolutely. We're going to do our best to do that. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. We, we hopefully didn't take too much of your time. This is wonderful. This is dialogue. This is the meeting of the, of the minds. This is wonderful. Thank you very much for this golden opportunity. And please keep us in tune with what you're doing. Well, I will. Thank you. Can All right, consider thanks. it done. Thank you now. Good night. <laughs> 